Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm your co-host, Jeannie Rice, along with Dr. Tim Hayes, and we welcome you to the show. Today is Wednesday, December 2nd, 2015. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because that makes this your show. And we also have Gail with us. She's been with us the last two days, and so she is with us as well. Welcome, Michael. Dear heart, and welcome, everybody. We're honored that you're with us. We appreciate the fact that you participate in bringing a new thought system, actually a very ancient thought system, renewed to the planet of understanding our part in the process of creating what happens in our lives, and in particular, how to forgive or remove those things that don't belong in human creation. So that's what we're here to do. I'm, a, I'm on the excited side. We've finally gotten settled into um, Florida, into the house that we're moving into. We, we had a couple of weeks of uh, some intense uh, interaction with the house in order to uh, to get settled in. But uh, we're just in the second day of editing the new, and it's new, but it was almost a year ago that we created a, uh, a new four-hour video of why is this happening to me again. And... Uh, our lives have been so intense that there just wasn't the space to edit it, and we just completed the edit information on the second hour, and about four times as I sat there with Jingy listening through it and making the edit notes, it was, wow, I don't remember this being this good. <laughs> I don't remember this coming together as well as it has, so I'll be excited about getting that uh, new four-hour video of why is this happening to me again out there and available and I think we're going to take probably the first hour of it as soon as we get it back and put it right on YouTube, the full hour. It's actually 51 minutes, but uh, it, will, it, it just lays out the whole process so amazingly that this new four-hour video is going to be pretty cool. So so that's a uh, one of the things I appreciate in my world, aside from that young lady who did the introduction and welcomed us. Uh, we've been sitting and focusing on this editing material as well as getting the house together and uh, just much appreciation, Jeannie, for your part in the whole process. And beyond that, we have Gail with us who is uh, has been, along with some help from our friends, uh, introducing us to the 12-step work that 
so powerfully has changed so many people's lives and given them sobriety in particular. And the uh, correlation with the forgiveness work that we're doing, that core step of uh, cleaning up the mind of its hostility and fear and recognizing that forgiveness is about removal. It isn't about letting other people off the hook because there's something going on in us. It's about reaching inside of ourselves and removing literally the very capacity for any form of hostility or fear so that we are restored to the truth of who we are. And the truth of who we are, we explain rather simply. Hold a newborn child, you know exactly what human life is. It's where we are designed to live, where you and I are designed to live 24-7, 365. A dilemma has developed in the last several thousand years on planet Earth where hostility and fear have crept in on deeper and deeper and deeper levels until you think that the rage and guilt and grief and war that's going on on the planet is natural and unavoidable. Our offering is it is far from natural and certainly is totally and completely changeable that we can actually heal as human beings and learn to remove the hostilities and fears that for most people have come to run their lives. And so Gail is uh, is kind of introducing us on a new level to the 12-step work. And Gail, welcome. We're glad you're here. Thank you for your participation. Thank you. I'm grateful to be able to participate, for sure. Um, something that I wanted to say real quick is um, I started listening to the show on November 3rd, which was a Monday, um, to, uh, I said November 1st, I think the last time that I mentioned this. And I remember hearing Suzanne Tucker being on Parent Teacher Mondays, and I just fell in love with listening to getting into the solution and getting into the un- the unconscious mind and finding out what was going on, really going on. And I knew by listening to the show that I had found my people. I had found my tribe. I had found a deeper level of healing, and I wanted to contribute to this. And I didn't know how I would be able to contribute. And, and so I am so incredibly grateful that I have this piece of the puzzle to offer others, and um, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity. So I want to say Fabulous. that. I'm right on track with And so um, the what, other thing uh, what thoughts do you have to share with us today? The thoughts that I have to share with you today is I wanted, um, you had asked for a definition of the spiritual experience that is offered by Alcoholics Anonymous, and I wanted to read this part in the book Alcoholics Anonymous called The Spiritual Experience and maybe shed some light on to the perspective of Bill Wilson when this was written. Um, And like I had said before, there's um, four additions to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and by the time they got to the second edition in 1955, they had realized that some of the people, maybe half of the people, were not having the bright light spiritual experience or sudden sudden spiritual awakening. And so they wrote this appendix to the book um, so people could be a little bit easier on themselves about the kind of spiritual experience that they're experiencing. So I'll read this real quick, and, and then we'll go down the sheet for and see how far we get. Um, This is, 
anyway, it says the term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing may gave many readers the impression that these personality changes are religious experiences must not be in the nature must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it is not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapid-growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are not by no means the rule. Most of our experience are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop solely over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished in many years of self-discipline. Through few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped in to an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of power greater than ourselves is the essence of, of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problem in the light of our experience can recover provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essential are essentials for recovery. But these are indispensable. And then there's a quote at the bottom of this that says, There is a principle which is bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. And that quote is by Herbert Spencer. So I want to share that. Well, Gail, that last piece. But I was stuck there for just a second with the mute button on. And uh, thank you yeah. for kicking in there, Dr. Kim. And Jeannie just tells me that um, Dr. Andrathion from Corrupt, uh, Nevada, and I know that uh, he's in his busy time of day, so his time is probably limited. He's working with alcoholics and drug addicts and doing a lot of awesome work with the forgiveness process in uh, Corrupt, Nevada and Las Vegas. So, Dr. Andrathion, how are Excellent. you doing? Thank you. Hello. Hey, Dennis, well, we You're can hear you loud and clear. Oh, very good. Um, this is a, a great addition because uh, I, Claudia and I uh, run the support groups, and people need more. They need uh, to be in a community where they have the opportunity to seek out being sober and seek out other ways to deal with 
what they do instead of uh, getting uh, intoxicated. So I always encourage everybody to participate in a 12-step group. And uh, we sometimes talk about similarities and sometimes uh, about the differences. The step number one is that uh, you are powerless. You may correct me on that. I'm not really good on all the steps, so I did read through that. Uh, I think uh, it needs to really be emphasized that uh, you have all the power. It's all inside you. You are love, and uh, you have to connect to that. And uh, like I said, you may want to uh, to explain that more. It's for someone just reading that or not having a full explanation of how that really fits to them could be a little bit discouraging. So we encourage everybody to participate. Alcoholics Anonymous has helped more people overcome addictions and alcoholism than anything else that's ever been brought forth in the uh, modern world. And the, the people that have gone through it, and I've gone uh, a number of uh, friends and patients who've gone through all this stuff, uh, it's interesting to do the forgiveness work with them because they all have things inside them that, uh, that they were able to identify as a major root of their unhappiness. And I know through all of the uh, steps that you take attempts to uh, make reconciliations and to deal with these uh, issues. And I really like the opportunity to add the uh, the forgiveness work into this, especially when it's done together, especially someone who has gone through the 12-step program. They've learned another way, which is the forgiveness, and it's uh, so additive, uh, so helpful, and it can make uh, such a big difference. So even someone who's recovering and who's uh, gone through the steps and continues to attend the meetings, I think, can find such value in, uh, in uh, forgiveness type of work. That's my that's my thoughts for for what we do, and we need the twelve step programs in Perump to help. And uh, so far, it's uh, it's worked well. Having the sponsor, having somebody who's gone through this, is uh, also a very important aspect. Similar to what we have, Michael, is uh, when we've done our worksheet, when we've done our work, we can support other people with all of their pains. So. Striking similarities uh, in how these two programs work. Absolutely, I'm in full agreement there. And uh, that first step of being powerless, I think, is uh, a step that um, the whole idea, to me, of AA and of all recovery, of all healing, is to empower us over those energetic dynamics that otherwise seem to overwhelm and run our lives. So, getting to the point where I have the tools with which to take my power back. You know, one of the basic uh, principles of AA, and it fits very well with this work as well, is the first step in powerlessness is denial. And our definition, of course, of denial is when I think or speak, and so something outside of me is causing something to happen inside of me, then I'm living in denial. And whatever I deny... And powerless over. Because what happens when I pretend that something outside of me has the power is the thing that has the power that is causing my pain or trauma or turmoil residing inside of me, I am now cut off from. So, of course, I'm powerless. And I'm disconnected from that. I just so I literally dissociate from what I deny. And that part of my mind now being hidden from myself by myself is absolutely unchangeable. 
to me the the contribution that in particular first century Arabic forgiveness makes to uh people who are in twelve step and you know as uh Dave shared yesterday and and Gail has shared as when you learn that forgiveness is not about letting yourself or somebody else off the hook. And when we think we're forgiving by I forgive you, I forgave myself, I let him off the hook, I let myself off the hook, we're doing pardoning work, which is really nice, but it's got nothing to do with forgiveness. And almost, you know, without reservation, the whole culture is tied up in the Greek idea of forgiveness of letting somebody off the hook. And that comes from denial and dissociation from the pain is something that's inside of me. And when I'm pretending that it's caused from the outside, then I get convinced that if I let them off the hook, then things are going to be better. Where the contribution that first century Aramaic uh, forgiveness gives is that forgiveness is about removal of pain. It's about removal of trauma. It's about ownership. It's about facing and dealing with honestly that which I've hidden from myself. And when I reclaim that through responsibility, and a lot of people hear responsibility as blame, guilt, fault. Oh, I'm the guilty party. It's my fault. I'm responsible. No, responsibility is simply a tool for accessing a part of the mind that we've hidden from ourselves. The part that holds the power that will bring change that through my denial, I keep locked away in a, a unconscious part of my mind and you know it's interesting that psychology is pretty much in agreement i think across the board that at least 90 to 95 percent of our mental processes are unconscious that's how deep the denial is and of course how deep the resultant powerlessness is when i begin to forgive and reclaim those parts of my mind the place where i've hidden my power in my brain's image of you my power is now restored to me and I can step into that space of active present love and begin to dissolve the energies that, for who knows how many generations, we've been practicing hiding from ourselves. And once that occurs, then the reason for addiction begins to disappear. The reason for for an anesthetic instead of a worksheet, instead of a wake-up sheet, disappears when I realize that my pain is internal, and I can remove it. I have that power. It's pretty pretty amazing. How does that fit with you, uh, uh, Stephen? Are you still there, Dr. Andraki? Okay, well, maybe we've lost him. And um, I know that he's, this is a busy time of day, and they're, they're uh, one of the largest uh, healthcare providers in the town of Pahrump, Nevada, so I know some pretty intense times. And we sure appreciate that every week there are people coming together and their support group is usually running from 17, 18, 20 people. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool to uh, to see that level of work happening in a medical facility and where uh, Dr. Andraki offers the treatments of the medical community and is a very uh, powerful healer that he's also offering at the same time support for people taking charge of their lives and, and healing. It's pretty awesome. Uh, Dr. Tim, you started to speak, and I, my mute button came undone as uh, as you did. Uh, how are you today, and, and what would you like to share with us? Any thoughts in that uh, that whole conversation? Well, I was going to say, at the very end of what Gail was reading, 
and now the quote is is slipping from my mind, but it was something about, she read it rather rapidly, but right at the end there's a key piece about disdain prior to investigation. Is that accurate, Gail? Yeah, contempt prior to investigation. Contempt prior to investigation. And that's that can only be active in us if we're in denial, if we're in blockage of truth. If I'm open, if I'm curious, if I'm looking to learn and grow and become better than whatever I've experienced prior to this, I can't have contempt for what I don't yet know prior to investigation. So that was just the piece I was going to add there. And thank you for reading that, Gail. That's that's a quote I've heard from our friend Dave Gilberts before, and it's one of my favorites. Let me add a piece to that uh, conversation too, Tim, because that's so powerful. And of course, uh, one has never, there's never been anyone who's had contempt for anything in their world ever in their lives. Uh, when people say, I have contempt for you, contempt for this, contempt for that, what, what they're really saying is, I have contempt, and I can point to anything that's handy. And it can be, you know, a new thought system, something that challenges my thought system. But the person who would have contempt, once again, uh, their their addiction, and I'd suggest that perhaps a uh, contempt anonymous group would be appropriate because the addiction to contempt is a replication of a power person dynamic. I guarantee the person who, without investigating something, would go into contempt, and that would mean that if it conflicts with their thought system, then they're going to go into contempt. I guarantee if they go back into their deepest memories, they were two or three or four or five or six or ten or twelve, and they expressed something to their power person, and their power person instantly went into contempt. And they're just replicating the power person dynamic. It's right back to the codependence game and the addiction. Contempt is just another form of hostility. And my my offering is that hostility is just an internally produced drug that uh, anesthetizes against our pain. So if someone is challenged by a new thought system, then what we know is that in their mind with their thought system, there is some sort of pain about being challenged rather than welcoming and enjoying and, and playing, play, having fun with the challenge, uh, that person is in the power person dynamic of, uh-oh, I've said something to challenge my power person, therefore they're going to puke all over me with their hostility and their contempt. And so once that becomes a habitually acquired uh, dynamic, then the child starts to grow up and anyone who challenges their thought system gets the same power person dynamic turned over on them. It's just another piece of healing and, and quite literally, I believe, another addiction. Gail, do you have anything to uh, to share? Any thoughts on uh, what Dr. Andraki shared? I I appreciated him sharing and, and that was good stuff. Um the point that he brought out about hearing about the powerless, I totally and completely relate to that because I felt that way as well. And, and I didn't understand what the, that meant for the longest time. So I did, I did experience hopelessness at, at looking at that. Um, there is, 
parts in our literature in, in the book Alcoholics Anonymous that does talk about finding the power. Um, and it's a matter a matter of mismanagement of power um, in the first step. Uh, the first step says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, and then there's a dash, like Dave said um, yesterday, about there being two separate ideas involved with the first step, and there's there it is a two-part step. And then he discussed the 11 and a half part of the step that starts to get into the solution. Um, being powerless over alcohol uh, talks about the um, the physical allergy to to alcohol. We're powerless over alcohol because when we put it into our body, our body does not metabolize it correctly. So it is a metabolic issue instead of a moral dilemma. And that that is what we're powerless over. And um, I've discovered for myself that it's a symptom of a much greater problem. And also I consider it 10% and I consider it to be an effect. And so when we try to do things outside, like control our drinking by drinking something else or drinking at a different time of the day or making sure that we put food, you know, we eat first before we drink or, you know, I can't be an alcoholic if I don't drink, you know, if I don't drink before noon, if I have all my bills paid, those are all effects. Those are all things outside of me and I'm not addressing what is causing my drinking which would be my thinking and my feelings. I'm 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 drinking and that's the unmanageable ability part. Um I I drink because I'm irritable restlessness and, and discontent. I drink because I'm filled with fear and that fear goes to anger and the anger goes to resentment. That resentment goes to judgment and the need to retaliate. And part of that need to retaliate would be to gossip and then guilt, shame and remorse and I'm stuck in this cycle which that's what I consider to be our unmanageability is that that thinking and feeling cycle that we just can't think our way out of. And so then we have these feelings of irritable restlessness and discontent. And in order to calm that down or anesthetize that, we put alcohol into our bodies and then the allergy is kicked in and we can't stop drinking. So that, that was what I wanted to add there. The rest of the steps that it talks about in our literature about where to find the power and and the power is to find that in, inside of us and very similar to what you talk about as well it, to find the power inside of us to set Rachma and Kuba to to tap into Ruka to Kucha. so those are my comments for that yay right on track I'm in in full agreement with you and uh, to reclaim one's power is primarily done through forgiveness and you know if, if if anybody's listening who hasn't engaged in the wake up sheet the reality management sheet as yet we would invite you to go to our website www.whyagain.org and if you scroll down the page a little bit in the middle of the page you'll see a red bullseye if you click on that bullseye it'll walk you through the steps of here's how you forgive. There is a technology involved. It isn't just some kind of a flippant, offhanded statement that's, oh, I let you off the hook. I'll forgive you. It is a technology of the mind. It is the, the understanding of how the mind works and working within the way that the mind works. It's about collapsing false perception, the lies. I, 
I loved uh, Dave's um, input yesterday when he said, that, you know, the feel is real, the why is a lie. The mind hallucinates a million different stories about a million different objects of attention as to why what's going on inside of it is going on inside of it. And the truth is, whatever's going on inside is going on inside because it's there. And we have not been taught how to access what's there directly. Most people are in continuous, indirect access with their pain. They're, they're continuously feeling it, but the brain hallucinates a story as to it's about what you said, it's about what you did, it's because, because, because. There's no because, it's experienced because it's there. What the, uh, the, the link will take you to if you click on the bullseye is the whole story of the technology of forgiveness, how the mind works. You'll see there a link to a PowerPoint process. It took me 30 years to understand what's in a 24-minute PowerPoint process. Thank you to uh, Bill Costantino for having the skills to put together that PowerPoint. And it explains the technology that we've decoded from the first century Aramaic of how the mind works. If you don't know how it works, you can't operate it. You know, I use the example oftentimes of we're going to give somebody the keys to the car and say go for a drive, and they get in the car, jump up on the dash, and drive the car from sitting on the dashboard looking out the back window and wonder why they have accidents. They have no idea how the car works. You know, we at least give a kid some driving lessons. But what lessons do we give a kid about the mind? The major lessons are the people who live in hostility or fear model hostility or fear and inflict that energy toward the child. And if the child has any resonance with it, they take it on. Rare, although fortunately it's becoming more and more common, rare is the modeling for the awesome active presence of love even when the child is stuck in what the world calls misbehavior. And for someone to become rather than a power person, and our definition here of a power person is someone who is not functioning as love that has more control over our lives than we do. That's a power person. And the interaction with that power person who's not functioning as love sets up a modeling process. What we're looking to do is to empower people to really truly function as the presence of love and model, even when this person is doing something that's undesirable, model the active presence of love. And as one removes their own power person dynamics, removes literally the capacity for hostility or fear. And this, you know, in, in every culture, there's a, uh, the indigenous cultures and such, there's always a trickster. There's the wily coyote. There's the joker. And that is a symbol of the mind because it can always trick us into, well, I'm only upset because of, and then the conversation goes on about whoever the object of attention is, and the conversation about the internal process and the upset is gone. We want a model that we can own, speak about upset through ownership, access the deepest levels of upset directly. And when we bring, and this is the, the core and the power of forgiveness, 
when we bring love, conscious, active, and present, forward into the mind, and then directly access what's been hidden that's based in pain, the pain simply begins to dissolve so very powerfully. And, of course, the 12 steps are a set of tools for how to achieve that space, and that's what we're here to support you in doing. And so, may I add? Gail, any other thoughts? Oh, please do. So, um, one of the things that happens so often, Gail, is people say half or a part of something, and they're not reading from the original document. And I've heard so many people have this very strong reaction to the idea that in the first step of Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step program, I need to say I'm completely powerless. And yet when you read the whole statement, it doesn't say I'm completely powerless. It says I have to accept that I'm powerless over this substance of alcohol and then as you and Dave were pointing out, and then there's another part of that. So I'm really glad you brought that out. The other thing is... Go ahead, Gail. Uh, uh, You go ahead. So the other thing is, years ago I was in a training from specialists who were dealing with um, the cocaine problem down in Miami, and they came up to this area, and and I've remembered this ever since, and many years ago. And... This gentleman talked about how the problem was so insidious because when they got people off the streets, out of the gutters, you know, from the brink of death, out of the hospitals, et cetera, and they got them showered and cleaned up, within a day or two, the transformation was so dramatic and their heads began to clear and these people who were, you know, most of them, many of them, very high-functioning, very intelligent, and so they're two or three days from being pulled out of the gutter or on death's bed in the um, emergency room, and now they're sitting shaven and showered and dressed appropriately, and they're sitting in this therapist's office, and they're saying, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty okay. I think I got this. I think I can handle this. I mean, it's been two or three days now, and I haven't had any cravings at all. I think I really learned my lesson. And so this therapist, this counselor, drug and alcohol counselor, got so tired of hearing it, he kept a box of X-lax in his drawer. And every time one of those people said, I can do this on my own, I can handle this, no problem, you know, I can use just a little here and there, parties or whatever, he would take the box of X-lax out, put it on his desk, and he'd say, if you think you're so sure that you can control the effect of chemicals in your body, you eat half of this box of X-lax, I'll eat the other half, and we'll see he has to use the bathroom first. <laughs> That's hilarious. What a great demonstration. That is good. And that's what the first step is talking about. I can't control what happens after I put this substance in my body. It's going to have its way. And time after time, what's been demonstrated is that the first casualty of alcohol, the first thing we lose in alcohol, the first thing that's impaired is our judgment, not our reflexes, not our speech, not our um, perceptual ability, but our ability to judge what we're perceiving. And so as soon as, you know, if I get sober 
I have a choice whether or not to use the tools. I do have the power to go to meetings. I do have the power to pursue this bright light spiritual awakening. I do have the power to apply the worksheet process or the mind shifter journaling. I do have the power to choose to be away from people, places, and things that I had this strong habit pattern with until I just develop another habit pattern and strengthen that until it becomes my default. I have all of those powers. I have the spiritual faculty of choice until I put that substance in my mouth, and then I no longer have that ability. And that's, what, and that's what this system, the 12-step system, and the people who study it, and they go mining like Gail and Dave Gilberts. They mine the literature. They dig deep to look at the deeper understandings. And it's not just about staying away from alcohol. It's about repairing character defects and old habits and patterns and restoring them with or replacing them with truer, more human, more loving, more effective patterns and skills. So that's what I had to offer. Absolutely. Great. Absolutely. Thank you. Go for it, Gail. What what I was going to add was, uh, I was introduced to 12-step programs when I was 21 years old, didn't get sober till 32, and I I thought that that's what the first step meant as well. And it took listening to speakers. Um, we have these people, they're called circuit speakers, they're on the circuit, they share their experience, strength, and hope at conferences and, and conventions and different gatherings. And... I was listening to a speaker tape, and this gentleman, um, who is one of my AA heroes, I know we're not supposed to put people on pedestals, but um, he's definitely one of those people that I'm tempted to put on a pedestal, and he broke down that step for me, and that was the first time I ever heard anybody talk about that. It's not so much about not drinking, it's about admitting what the problem is, that that. I have a metabolic problem. I just cannot metabolize alcohol. My body does not metabolize alcohol correctly, and that's it. I just can't put it in my body. I'm allergic to shellfish as well. I don't sit there and think about how can I get away with eating a piece of shrimp. Um, but it, I do obsess over how can I get to that next drink to get comfortable in my own skin. And... Um, and so my thinking needs, uh, uh, my, my feelings need to change and my feelings change by changing my thinking and my thinking changes by working the rest of the steps or my thinking changes by doing, um, a wake up sheet and, and continuing to follow through with the Aramaic forgiveness process as well. Can I offer, uh, some input, Gail, on, on Absolutely. your thinking here? Good. Certainly. So. I noticed that several times now you said I would drink to be comfortable in my skin. And my input would be that if you if you keep that thinking going, then there's always going to be that temptation to be comfortable in your skin when there's pain going on. And I got that you're clear and you're sober, but, but you don't really want to hang out with that mind energy. I don't Understood. think you drank to be comfortable in your skin. I think you drank to anesthetize your pain. And Understood. that was equated. And you remember that, you know, when the mind 
does something, it tells it's a story so that it makes it acceptable. So when I tell myself the truth, if I drink, I drink in order to anesthetize my pain, then I've alerted my brain to, oh, there's pain, I've got some work to do, as opposed to I did it to be comfortable in my skin. So I'd invite maybe changing that thought, and I don't know if that's a common thought in the AA system, but I'd certainly change that one. I drank to anesthetize the pain that otherwise I couldn't control and couldn't stand. And once that pain started to disappear, once I started to anesthetize that, the next thing that happens is I've cut off oxygen to the brain. And when the oxygen is cut off to the brain by the alcohol coagulating blood cells and slowing down capillary action, or the, the movement of blood cells into the brain, then the next thing to go is inhibitors, the things that would normally say to me, oh, I'm not going to do that, oh, I won't do that, no, I'm not going to do that, thank you, I've had enough drink, I won't have another drink. The inhibitors are knocked out by the uh, lack of, of oxygen flow in the brain and toxicity building up in the brain, and then come the poor judgments, come all the, all the things that go with, uh, with poor judgment. And so I think that um, telling oneself the truth, I drank to anesthetize pain I couldn't control, and now I know I can heal that pain, leads to, uh, I think, a, a potential of a, a big step upward in the process. Understood. Understood. Cool. Definitely we'll take that into consideration. Go ahead. Well, I think it's... Yeah, I, I think what, Michael, you're talking about there is just wonderful stuff related to deeper levels of this work that are incorporated in the laws of living. And so, yeah, I, I, I recommend it highly, being able to understand what my speech reveals to me about the processing of my unconscious mind and use that number one, to direct me to what I need to dismantle, and number two, to correct it so that I program my mind in a more positive direction. It's very, very effective, very, very helpful in my life. Agreed. And thank you for pointing that out. Are you there, Michael? Excuse me, I was with my mute button on, but uh, but go ahead, Gail. Next thought. Um, next thought was going to be to to amble on to um, step two and where I see step two on the sheet. Are we ready? Absolutely. Okay. Um, you had actually did a great forward to this yesterday when you were talking about love truth. And I see step two, which is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. And I think that those two words right here on the sheet under 2A, love truth, is step, step two encapsulated for me. That's where I see step two. And I will um, point out the key phrases or words. In, in, in AA Step 2 and, and tie that into Love Truth, or I choose the Love Truth. Um, came to believe is the first phrase, and come to believe for me is to define what a belief is, and that's a series of thoughts that become automatic and and, and go into our subconscious, unconscious mind. In order to come to believe for me is a change in thought. 
um, to be given new information and to, I guess, um, in, in the language that you use would be create new brain cells and to come up with new beliefs. Beliefs. So for me, come to believe is a change in thought and, and a change in beliefs based on new information that is coming in. Um, a power greater than ourselves, it does not necessarily talk about God in the second step. It talks about a power greater than ourselves. Um, by definition, it, a power greater than ourselves can be anything outside of ourselves that can help us to achieve sobriety, not get us sober, not keep us sober. And an example of a power greater than ourselves could be a sponsor. And the way a sponsor can be a power greater than ourselves is because that sponsor can share their experience, strength, and hope. They can be a tour guide through the AA literature. They can be a, um, they can teach us how to work the steps and they can introduce us to the God of our understanding. And when I say introduce, um, it doesn't mean just because I was raised Episcopalian that I'm going to drag everybody to the Episcopal church or just because I have encountered Dr. Michael Rice um, that I'm going to drag everybody to Heartland to believe the way that I believe. It is an introduction just like an introduction would be, you know, me introducing some of my friends to you. How you guys continue to have a relationship is up to them and you. So if I say something to the effect of in that introduction that I've been able to maintain sobriety for 16 years because I've pursued a relationship with a God of my understanding, that that is the introduction. So that describes the power right. greater than ourselves. Well, and I noticed that you, you, you made specific mention of a power greater than ourselves outside of ourselves. I think that, you know, a, a step that um, the worksheet introduces is recognizing that there's this literal elemental force in us that in the ancient Aramaic was called Rukudukudshin, and it resides within us. And when we call on it, it has the power and the ability to support us in moving into deeper and deeper levels of awareness and charge over our behaviors. I um, was going to get to that. <laughs> oh. oh, good. There, okay. there, is cool. encur- Go there, there, wasn't, there is encouragement in the literature to look inside ourselves. And, and the rest of the steps, the rest of the steps start to help us get rid of the things that block us off from what's inside of us. So totally and completely agreed there. Um, I specifically, when I, when I sponsor people or if I'm helping people through the steps, especially if they do have an aversion to God um, or consider themselves to be agnostic or, or atheist, I tiptoe around that and and offer other powers greater than themselves so they could ease themselves into their own search for the God of their understanding. So the the next well, word is, is – oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to put the thought in there that it's interesting how how disconnected our culture has become, and people – actually think they have an aversion to God. I've never met anybody with an aversion to God. 
I've met people who have an aversion to the theological monstrosity that men made up, and those who have that aversion have never had a direct experience of the active presence of love in their lives, and therefore live in that state of aversion. But uh, ultimately, I think once people correct their definition, their understanding, who doesn't want a direct relationship with the active presence of love? I don't know anybody. Absolutely. I don't think it's possible. <laughs> yeah. And thank you for taking it that next step. Thank you so much. That That's why I'm enjoying this conversation so much, because you just take it the rest of the way. And, yeah, that's exactly, exactly. I'm right there with you. Cool. Agreed. Awesome. Uh, um, the next, the next word is sanity. To be restored to sanity, and in our language, or uh, the way I present this, is uh, the, the best way to define sanity is to define insanity, and the best way to define insanity. Um, is to use Albert Einstein's definition, which is to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So in order to achieve sanity, we do something different to get different results. Um, another definition that we use in Alcoholics Anonymous um, comes from some circuit speakers. They're called Joe and Charlie. Um, these are two gentlemen from Little Rock, Arkansas, that had, um, did would do big book studies over a weekend they would start on a friday and they would end up on a sunday and they would go through the preface the forewords the doctor's opinion and the first 164 pages of the big book and just tear it up and define all the words and and put in the in the time period and and the thought process and all the history and they're amazing people and the definition that they offer for insanity is to live without the truth, which I think is a beautiful tie-in to the love truth. So in order to achieve sanity would be to face and to start living in the truth. And so that is why I correlate love truth to being our seconds, to the love truth. So what that tells me right there is that I want to do something different and I, and I want to live in the truth. Yeah, and most people love their own opinions far more than they have any interest in the truth. And that's a sure, sure way to, uh, to self-destruction and uh, the, the living in blockage of truth. And, you know, I think an understanding of what blockage of truth means is helpful. And that is that when I tell myself a lie, i.e. you made me mad. Now I just met you three days ago and here I am blaming you for the rage that I was experiencing, that I knew how to experience two weeks ago, two years ago, 20 years ago, five decades ago. I knew this rage. But here I am after three days of meeting someone and telling myself a lie that they enraged me. And people love those lies because it lets them pretend that they're innocent victims. But what they never see is that now they're stuck in the victimhood game. And so when I tell myself a lie and I call that lie truth, you know, there's some interesting Harvard research that says that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells fire, the max amount of data that can go into conscious awareness is nine bits. Very, very tiny, tiny fragment of information gets into conscious awareness at any given time. So 
when I fill my nine-bit mind, so to speak, with a lie, you made me mad, you enraged me, then I now live in a state of blockage of truth. There's no room in the nine-bit mind for truth to get in when I, when I love the lie that, and the belief that you're the problem in my life. Once I start to give that up and I choose the antidote for blockage of truth is, and it's so powerful, you go back into the ancient scriptures and you see that the creator is defined as love and the creator is defined as truth. So it ties right in perfectly. It does. It does. It's great. Good stuff. So are we ready to proceed to step three? Anybody else have any comments about? Okay, step three is we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And for the longest time, um, I thought that that step meant that that was the step that we turn everything over in. And it is not. It, It is a decision. The very important word there is we made a decision to. We haven't done it yet. We are, we are just making a decision. So now that I've learned that it's just a decision, a, a very important one, um, in the steps, that the way that I present step three is that step three is a decision to finish the rest of the steps. And what I see in the rest of um, 1A is after it says, I choose to love truth, and then it says, and willingly face and process out all disease-producing energies for from my relations, generations, and then B, I willingly go through the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms of healing. The, the decision in step three being a decision to finish the rest of the step, and also this, the piece of material in, in the wake-up sheet says we're making a commitment to follow through and and to see what is going to come through after we do the rest of it. We're, we're making a commitment or we're, we're making a decision. And another thing that I use, too, to demonstrate the, the decision in step three is the, this joke, and it's three frogs are sitting on a log, how many... One makes a decision to jump off. How many are left? And a lot of people say two because they think that he jumped and he didn't jump. Um, He just made a decision to. Um, To further illustrate that is the turning over process is actually in our sixes, our step six and seven. And then where our frog arrives at a destination would be in our step 11. So we're, we're making a decision to get rid of the anger, resentment, the fear, the guilt, shame, and remorse, all that stuff that blocks us off from the God of our understanding. And we do that by inventorying our character defects and shortcoming in, in step four, talking about them in step five. Um, We become willing to have our defects removed in step step six. We ask God to remove them in step seven. Step eight is um, making the list of all people we had harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. And then step nine is when we start to make those amends to people that we have harmed. 
step 10 is basically steps four through nine every single day. And when once we start to remove all all those feelings and thoughts or have God remove them, um, then we are able to do step 11 pretty easily. And step 11 is to continue through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So right on track. You know, it's interesting. I've, uh, there's If you jump on the Internet and you do some research on AA, you'll see people out there just dissing it left, right, and center. And uh, when I've looked at that, what I've noticed is the people who are dissing it are selling something else. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, not, wa- not wanting to acknowledge the the power that uh, this uh, community has. And, and it's interesting, uh, you know, I, I've seen different uh, groups who have different levels of, the presence of love in them. I've seen people in AA who are still carrying a lot of anger. I've seen people in AA with just such a, a deep, cherishing love for them, you know, standing as that deep space of love that cherishes themselves and others. That, um, that, that to me is the ultimate goal of that community, as with the community we're building around the, uh, the why is this happening to me again work. That, and in the, uh, the Aramaic, there's a set of, words that have been translated by the Greeks as the kingdom of heaven, but those words are much more correctly translated as the community of love. And when we allow ourselves to be restored to that community of love, then, and we consciously, purposely, willingly create that community of love, then the space is created where anything based in insanity is healable and the power and the presence of that act of love that brings those shifts and changes to people is just beyond comprehension. And we are down to the last minute or so, so we'll uh, we'll pick up with the next uh, step tomorrow. And uh, we'll just invite everybody to uh, to bring a stranger to the show tomorrow. If this show has been meaningful for you, if you know somebody who's got a challenge with drugs or alcohol or hostility, or someone who's simply looking forward with trepidation to what's happening in uh, in the holiday season, then we invite you to, you know, if there's an MP3 of it, you can just go to our website and download the MP3, send it to them, offer some support. We appreciate you if you're ready to take your work to the next level, and especially if you're up there in winter in February, we've got two intensives, the, the uh, flyers are on the website. Tap in, take a look at whyagain.org. In the meantime, have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to you. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com. A-I-N.com Evolving continuously